All right. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. I see we have some deer hunting widows in here. Some ladies whose husbands are out in the woods freezing to death. So who is who is a smart one? I should say that I was out in the woods yesterday freezing to death. But who made the better choice this morning? Everybody who's in here warm and toasty. Um, hey, before we look at the message today, look at this pile of boxes. Every one of these boxes represents a family, not just a kid. Because we've heard the testimonies for years and years and years how when um, a child gets this box, and remember when the boxes from Samaritan's Purse are delivered, they're only given to places where there's local churches established or they're trying to establish a local church. And then um, every time it's always in conjunction with presenting the gospel to people when they get it. So it's not just a gift. It's a gift with the intention of getting people to open up their hearts and their ears to the gospel. And so who knows where these are going to go. Now, did you notice this year you could, I don't remember if this is in the past, you could, um, well, I'm going to sound really dumb, scan your thing and then you get to find out where in the world your box is going. And so I don't remember if that was before, but this year I said to Suzanne, can you do that on my phone for me? <laughs> so ours is, mine is scanned somewhere because Suzanne did it for me. Um, but um, we're going to pray because the history of Samaritan's Purse and ministries like this is that this opens doors that no other way could the doors be opened and then the gospel can be presented and, and literally millions of lives will be changed because of, because of Operation Christmas Child. So Father, I want to thank you for a church family who is ridiculously generous. Lord, you have given us a lot. We know that. You tell us that who much is given, much is required. And, and, and Lord, I've never been with a group of people who understands that more clearly, that, that we just give generously. And Lord, so once again, um, people have taken their time, their efforts, their resources, and they've packed these boxes with love, and I believe that, with thought and with love. And Lord, we would ask that you would literally direct each one of these boxes to the exact perfect child. If there's a child out there that what they want is a coloring book, there's a child out there that what they want is a stuffed animal, there's a child out there who what they want is socks. And Lord, these boxes are filled with all different things. And Lord, we're asking you to pair up the boxes with the children so somehow it speaks to them that you are real. And then when the gospel is presented, and they get to take the gospel literature home. And they get to be invited to a local church. We would ask you, Lord, that, that literally millions of lives would be changed because of the simple acts of giving generously, of practical, just these practical um, items for kids across the globe. So we pray that, that you would work with Operation Christmas Child Samaritan's Purse You'd help them, you'd provide for them, you'd give them all the wisdom, all the insight, all the open doors that they need so that, Lord, um, churches would be established and the gospel would be preached in places that it would not have happened without the tool of Operation Christmas Child. So, Lord, bless each one of these boxes and in particular bless the children who these boxes represent and the families these boxes represent. And then, Lord, I pray this, 
your most generous, gracious, kind blessing upon every single person in this church family who said, yeah, I want to do that. So thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Amen. Amen. Remember, if you have boxes, they have to be in today. And I'll even say this. Tomorrow morning? Morning. <laughs> tomorrow morning, because some people forget every year until we do this. But after tomorrow morning, we can't do anything with them. They get shipped to Operation Christmas Child, and we have nothing to do with them anymore. And we, so you just put them in your closet till next year if you forget. After, after noon tomorrow. All right? Sound good? All right. Well, hey, can I blow your mind this morning? Yeah? Today, this week, really kind of officially because it's Thanksgiving this coming week, kicks off the holiday season. Christmas is in five weeks. I heard the groans. I'm going to mention that in a minute. I heard the groans. I hear the, I hear the, I saw some fist bumps because you're happy, I think. Not that you're wanting to punch people, I'm not sure. Um, five weeks. How is that possible? It was 4th of July yesterday. Matter of fact, it was 71 degrees like five days ago. It was 71 degrees. And I sat out in the woods. And if you saw the clothes that I wear hunting, I have the best of the best. Ice King boots. The best. Ice Kings, they're awesome. And this great scent lock suit. My suit's $600 to keep me warm. You know, don't roll your eyes. You know? <laughs> and the best, awesome, awesome gloves that fold up in the mittens and there's little pouches for hand warmers and all stuff. And I froze my keister off last night. It was cold. I'm like, it was 71 five days ago. And we're five weeks from Christmas. So ready or not, here it comes. And I know that when I say that, I'm getting there for a reason. I say it's a holiday season. Some of you moaned. And I get it. There's some annoying things tied to it. Anybody have an annoying relative? That you're going to see over the holidays. If your hand's not up, you are the annoying relative. There are people in your family going, does Mark really have to come this year? You know, I'm telling you, we're all, we all have this interaction of our families. And um, so there are some things that could be annoying, that can be frustrating. There's the commercialization, you know, blah, 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 all the stuff we talk about every year. That's the downside, right? But one of the things that I absolutely love about the holiday season. And I've had conversations with some of you about it who literally have told me, you didn't want to come to church in the holidays because you've heard the same things, same general, you know, Christmas, what do you talk about? Jesus being a baby? Maybe, right? It's kind of Christmas, right? Or, you know, whatever, the holidays, Easter. Hey, Jesus is alive. You know, we kind of talk about those things over and over. Um, but that's what I love about the holidays, I love the fact that the holidays remind us again to think about certain things that are the most important things. You know, Christmas reminds us that Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with us. We need to be reminded about that. You're going through some stuff right now, maybe, that the answer to your heart is to realize Jesus is with you. 
You're not alone. You feel alone. The answer is Emmanuel. And Thanksgiving reminds us of what? Well, how about being thankful, right? In a world where there's always opportunities to be unthankful, does anybody have anything happen to them that gets them a little frustrated once in a while, a little miffed, right? Yeah. Tom, you're the, you're the anomaly, the only guy. Here's the deal. We can live in that world of frustration. You want to know the cure to living in a world of frustration? Thankfulness. Being thankful. Re- that, that Thanksgiving reminds me and you to be thankful. And I'm really glad that I live in a nation that has a national holiday to give thanks to God for his goodness. Now you can say, yeah, but you know what? It's really just designed for commercialism and to sell products. Okay, but guess what? We don't have to be that way. The world can be that way, but we don't have to be that way. We don't have to get sucked into all the junk. We can look and say, I live in a nation that its history says, that the leaders of our nation said, let's take one day, set it aside, make it a national holiday, not for deer hunting. I love deer hunting, not for deer hunting. Not that you can't deer hunt on Thanksgiving. I've shot some nice deer on Thanksgiving. But to give thanks to God. Not to give thanks to the higher power. No, it says to give thanks to God, the God of the Bible. That is what our nation, America, said we're going to do. Now, people aren't going to do it. That's up to them. People are going to thank something else, the great spirit, whatever, that's up to them. But that's not what I'm going to do. And that's what you don't have to do. We live in a nation that says we can thank God for all of his goodness. Do you know that when you're thankful, that you are actually, according to Scripture, we'll look at this in a second, fulfilling God's will for your life? You are fulfilling God's will for your life. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people over the years that say, Pastor, I'm just trying to discern God's will. She's beautiful, but should I marry her? She's got 74 cats. You know, (laughs) should I marry her? What's God's will? I'm not dissing if you're cat people, but I'm just saying, you know what it is. So, we're trying to discern it. You, want, you don't have to wonder a lot of things. God has told us in certain things exactly what his will for your life is. Listen to what it says here. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in, in Thessalonica, the fifth chapter of First Thessalonians. He says this, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Listen, be thankful in all circumstances. Listen to this next line. For this is God's will. Say will. will. This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Scripture clearly says one of the things that is God's will for you is to be thankful in all circumstances. Now what's really interesting about what Paul wrote here, let's put it in context. Paul wrote this to the church of Thessalonica. And he wrote this, and if you read 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, which, by the way, I've been captured by lately, and I'm, I wasn't going to do this, but I think I'm going to preach a series on that, on these two books, before I do something else I was planning on doing coming up this year, because I've just been camping in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. But if you read about it in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, these people weren't having an easy time of living their Christian life. He wrote both letters because these people were being mistreated. They were being persecuted. And he says right in there, you're being persecuted by your countrymen. 
And the reason they're being persecuted, so it's by their own people, their friends and their neighbors. They're being persecuted by their countrymen because they had chosen to follow Jesus Christ. And so they're being, they're being persecuted, they're being mistreated, they're being lied about, they're being, they're, 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 their kids are coming home crying from school because Johnny wouldn't play with me because now you're one of those followers of Jesus. To those oppressed and mistreated Christians at Thessalonica, Paul says this, God's will for you is to be joyful and to be thankful in all circumstances. He says this is his will. How could Paul say this? Because life wasn't easy for these folks. Things weren't going the way they'd hoped for. Whoever hopes for persecution? Not me. Whoever hopes for it? They weren't hoping for it. They weren't living their best life ever. They weren't living their dream because they're being persecuted for followers. They were living their best life. They met Jesus, but it didn't look the way they thought it might look, right? But Paul could say this, and listen to me here. Paul could say this without just being a jerk. Because sometimes you can, people can be a jerk. We'll just suck it up, cupcake. And there's being, you know, there's they're no empathy. But Paul could honestly say this because there are some things that we can be thankful for regardless of our life circumstances. Good days or bad, regardless if they're wonderful or, or negative. There are some things we can be thankful for no matter what. In fact, those things that we can, when we're going to talk about them in a minute, are infinitely and eternally greater than any temporal life circumstances. And they're the kinds of things that bring us true joy in our lives. That's why Paul could say, he connects, be joyful, be thankful. If you're thankful, you will be joyful, is what he's saying. So what are some of the things that we can be thankful for in all circumstances. And in this room, there's people in all different circumstances. Every imaginable circumstance in our culture is represented in this room right here. Some of you are having the best year of your life. Some of you are having the worst. Some of you, your marriage is the best it's been. Some of you, you almost can't stand being in the same room. Some of your kids are doing great. Some of your kids are not doing great. Some of your finances are, you have more than you've ever had. And some of you are saying, I don't know how to pay the electric bill. Every imaginable difference. How can, how can Paul write to a group like this is what he did and add on top of it, they're being persecuted, we're not, and say you can, be, you can choose to be thankful in all circumstances and you'll be joyful if you do that. How could he say that? Because there's some things that regardless of all those things we just talked circumstances, every one of us can choose to be joyful for. So the, the Thanksgiving gift that I want to give you going into Thanksgiving is to tell you some of the things that you can be thankful for. And they're not little platitude things. You go, oh yeah, he's just sounding religious here. No, these are the real things that if we are thankful for, you will be joyful, and it'll make an entire difference in how you live your life. So you ready? Let's look at a couple of them. The first one is this. We can be thankful for God's love towards us all. And I want to explain that. Oh, yeah, of course. No, no, not just of course. You can be thankful for God's love to you. Let me explain this. One of the most famous verses in the whole Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, right? John 3, 16. Look at this. this, I didn't say the whole verse. That part, that verse says something. That verse says this, because God loves, he gives. Because God loves, he gives. 
And we can see from Scripture and the rest of Scripture that, that we find out that all the care and the provision in your life, the air in your lungs, the ability that you have food to eat, um, the fact for us, man, that we have warm houses to come in out of the cold, all of it, all the provision of life ultimately flows from God's heart of love for you. That's what Scripture teaches. 1 John 4, 7 says this. It says, God is love. It doesn't say God does love. It says God is love. It's his nature. It's who he is. It's the, and, and, and what we find out from Scripture, really, it's the only reason that we exist is because God is love. See this. In love, God created us to be the objects of his love. In love, because God is love, in love, God created us to be the objects of his love. So in his love, then, he provides everything that we need. Because he loves, he gives. In love, he provides for us and blesses us blesses and cares for us. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous love chapter. You've all heard it at every wedding you've ever been to. I actually had somebody one time say to me, in the preparation for the wedding, do anything you want, but you are forbidden. She was 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I don't want to hear it at my wedding. I said, all right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul tries to express what love looks like. That's what he's trying to do, and we're going to get to it in a second. He's trying to express what love looks like. And you know the verse, you know, love is patient, love is kind, that, that you've heard, heard of at wedding. He's trying to express, this is what love is like. But I want you to think about something. Since God is love, not that God does love, since God is love. It is completely theological, theologically correct to be able to look at that verse and replace the word um, love with the, worse, with the word God. Because if God is love, when it says love is this, you can be theologically correct to say that for, therefore God is this. And doing this helps us to understand God more clearly. Understand what God is really like. And I'm telling you this, this one activity alone can reshape some of your um, misguided narratives about God that have been messed up through, the, through just existence in the world. You have a wrong idea, wrong story about God. This can straighten that out. Just this one exercise, replacing love with God. It says this, God is patient. God is kind. God is not jealous. God does not brag and is not arrogant. God does not act unbecomingly. He does not seek his own. God is not provoked. God does not take into account a wrong suffered. God does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. God bears all things. He believes all things. God never fails. You know, let that shape your narrative about who God is, because God is love. That's who God is. That's a description of the God who loves you. This is something to, to meditate, meditate on every single day, to be amazed at that God, the God who created the universe, loves you. This is the first thing. Now, I don't do it every single day because who knows we've got a puppy. Why does anybody buy a puppy? He is so cute, Jack, the Springer Spaniel. He sleeps with us. Every morning, I wake up, as God is my witness, 
Suzanne's on this side of me. Usually her head's on my shoulder. And Jake is laying this way across my pillow with his head on me. Um, every, every day. I love the little guy. But he's messed up my morning routine. Because then he's right away going, lick, lick, bite, bite. I got to go to the bathroom. So he's kind of, he's messed up my morning routine. But when I do, I'm still able to have my morning routine and I can wake up and be cognizant and thinking before Jack attacks. Um, I go through a morning confession. And I try to do it every day. For years and years, decades and decades, I try to go through it. It's morphed a little bit. But the first line of my morning confession says this. Thank you, God, that you love me today and you want the best for me. That was a big change in my narratives. I didn't really think in the past God wanted the best for me. So the first line of my morning confession every day is to remind myself of this truth, that God loves me. Thank you, God. I have to remind myself, thank you, God, that you love me. And you want the best for me today. Because that's what scripture says. God is love and love is all these amazing things, right? So we can be thankful for that, right? You can be thankful today no matter what your circumstance is. God loves you regardless of circumstance. So that's the first thing. What's another thing that we can be thankful for regardless of, th- of, of circumstances? This. We can be thankful for God's forgiveness. Look at Psalm 103 with me. Turn on your Bible or... Fire it up. We'll look at it in a second. In this psalm, David is instructing God's people about how to bless the Lord. He's teaching in the psalm. How do you bless the Lord? How do you, how do you, in other words, how do you express thanksgiving to God? How do you worship, basically? Worship is expressing thanksgiving to God, a lot of worship. How do you do this? And he's teaching. David's teaching in the psalm. How do you do that? In the psalm, he goes through a list of different qualities of God and activities of God that people should be thanking him for, should be expressing our love back to him. And the very first thing that David points out in verse 3 is this. He says this about God. Who pardons all our iniquities. Your iniquities are your sins, the things you do wrong. Who pardons all our iniquities. Then he restates this and expands on it in verse 10. Look at verse 10. He says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. He's saying this is the reason to thank God for. Think about what's being said here. He's saying we should thank God because when we call out to God and seek his forgiveness, he always forgives us. It says he pardons us. You know what a pardon is? A pardon does not mean you're not guilty. A pardon means you've been convicted, you're in jail, you are guilty. And a president or a governor says, pardoned, you're free, slate wiped clean. He's saying that's what God does to you and me. Does not deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't treat us. Our sins, our sins because we sin, we should be treated one way. And God says, I'm going to choose to treat you another way. Now, here's where it gets real. You know we all love justice, right? We're, we're justice people, aren't we? The law, of, uh, the rule of law. How many of you in your political views, one of the things you stand for is the rule of law. I'm a rule of law guy, right? We love justice, especially when it applies to someone else. That's the caveat. We love justice when it's applied to somebody else. We want people held responsible for their actions, but not so much when it comes to me. I want to be pardoned. I want to be forgiven. And I can tell you, thanking God, one of the things to thank God for 
is that he pardons us. He does not give me or you what we deserve based on what we do. You want to know when we lived in Cambodia, why Cambodians are so, um, they live in such darkness and depression? They're Buddhists. You know what Buddhists believe in? Some people try to twist it in the West and try to it as positive. They believe in karma. You know what karma is? Karma just means this balancing scales. That's what it basically means. There's good and there's bad. And karma means if you do good, you get good. You get good. If you do bad, you get bad. And they know that everybody does more bad than good. And therefore, karma gets you. Karma equals the scales. You did something wrong, John. Karma's going to get you. You know what changes Cambodians' lives? When they learn about Christianity and they've never heard of the concept of forgiveness. They've never heard of it. They, there is no concept of forgiveness in their thinking. In karma, in Buddhism, there is no forgiveness. There's karma. So guess what? If you killed your mom in your past life, karma brings you back as a, as a blind beggar in the next. So therefore, no one treats the blind beggar with any compassion because you are that because in your past life, you killed your mother. And so you get treated with more contempt because karma got you. I'm awful glad that there is forgiveness, that karma, we don't live by karma. God gives forgiveness when we deserve justice. God deserves, gives forgiveness when we deserve punishment. And friends, that's what grace is. That's unearned favor. That's what God gives us. That's, and we're all recipients of it. You're a recipient of it right now. You love justice for everybody else, but you want pardon. The reason we can live with freedom, joy, is because the reason that they don't have joy is because karma doesn't give you joy. Forgiveness gives you joy. What's the things that so many people say when they come to Christ for the first time and they experience forgiveness like they didn't know? They say this, it feels like 10,000 pounds have been lifted off my shoulders. A weight's been lifted. Why? That's forgiveness. Imagine living your whole life under the burden, under the burden of no forgiveness. You just keep receiving. You can try as hard as you can try to do good things so that you, so that you, that maybe the scales of karma are, 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 are balanced, but no, you can't do it. But in Christ, he goes, Mark, guess what? You're a screw up. You did all these things, but you asked for forgiveness. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. That's forgiveness. That's where the lightness of life, the joy comes in today. Thank God this week that he offers us forgiveness. Good so far? You feeling better that Christmas is coming in five weeks? Here's another one we can thank God for. You're going to go, that's not something to be thankful for. Listen, don't judge this before I finish it, okay? Another thing we can thank God for in all circumstances is this, conviction. This might seem like an odd thing to thank God for, but in my opinion, it's one of the greatest and most merciful gifts that God gives to his followers. The whole, how does conviction work? The Holy Spirit brings conviction into our lives. He points out things that don't line up with godliness. He points those things out inside of our hearts. Somehow, we, somehow he helps us to identify those things that are wrong, that are out of line with what should be in our lives. And what he does is he makes us uncomfortable when our lives are out of sync with what's best for us. That's conviction. 
you're living, you're, you're watching that stuff you shouldn't, you're doing that stuff you shouldn't, you're saying that stuff you shouldn't, you're eating that stuff you shouldn't, you're smoking that stuff you shouldn't, whatever it is, and you feel uncomfortable because of it. That's the gift of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And friends, conviction has a purpose. Conviction makes us uncomfortable so that we desire to change. And the Bible word for change is, is repentance. We have a change in our thinking, and then we act differently, a change in our direction. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, For godly sorrow, you could say the word conviction there, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. It's saying conviction is a gift. That godly sorrow conviction produces something. It produces change in our life if we'll act in step with it. That leads us to salvation is forgiveness and, and renewal. And that we'll never regret it. So conviction is a gift. God wants us to move forward in our lives. God does not want you to be stuck. God wants us to get better than we were last year. So the Holy Spirit in love shines his light on the activities and the attitudes and the, and the wrong narratives of our life that are holding us back and says, just is out of sync with the best I have for you because he wants us to grow past that thing. He wants us to overcome these things, to make us better, to make us more whole. And conviction is the part of the, act, part of the activity of God that causes that process of growth to work. So friends here, when you feel conviction for something, instead of just being all down on yourself, which is so common, you just, oh, I'm just a rotten worm. No. Instead, look at it and respond. Look at it and go, I'm feeling convicted. Why? Because God wants me to get better. It's a gift. He wants you to get better. It's his loving gift to you. He's not slapping you. He's encouraging you. He's like, listen, I'm making you feel uncomfortable by my spirit because I got something better for you. Instead of feeling bad about it, feel great about it and respond because it's part of the loving reality of God in your life. Sometimes you're in a situation in life and things are going bad. A lot of times they're going bad because of bad choices you're making. And you say this to me, oh, where's God in it? We, talk, we probe a little deeper and you're feeling convicted. I go, there's God. There's God. He loves you so much he doesn't leave you alone. If your kids were doing something that is harming them, would you be a loving parent to sit back and go, I'll just let them do whatever they want? You'd be a bad parent. A bad parent lets them do whatever. He'd be a bad God. He's a holy, loving, gracious, kind God. So he offers us by his spirit conviction. So we go, because God's saying, I got something better for you than this. So instead of responding negatively conviction... Yes, it, it produces what? It says it produces sorrow, produces sadness because you know you're not doing it right. But that's not bad because it's sorrow that's not to lead to more sorrow. It's sorrow that's to lead you to salvation and a better life. It's a gift. It's a gift. And it says this, you will not regret it. You will not regret responding. So we got a lot so far to be thankful for, don't we? But we're not done. There's door number three, right? What else? How about this one? No matter what circumstances you're in, you can be grateful for God's wisdom in your life. Here's why. This, this is a huge one. I, I literally, if, if you ever ask me to pray with you, 
there's not hardly a prayer I pray with you ever that does not say, and God, you promise us wisdom, and we need it today. Every time I pray with you, because I pray it every day for me. Because here's the deal. Our world is a mess. Right? Our world is just full of unknowns. What's going to happen to the stock market? What's going to happen with your business? What's going to happen with your retirement account? Will you have your company? Will you still have the job you have in the company you're working at? I was just dealing with talking to a person, not from this church, but a Christian person who's been at the same company over 40 years, and they're saying, I'm just praying my company will stay alive. It will stay open until I can retire because I'm too old to get a different job. Like, I'm, I got this skill set for this job, and if this thing goes belly up, person, he told me, he said, he just called the president of the company and said, we got to have a sit down. And this is not a super high ranking person. He said, I got to know, do I, am I going to have a job until I retire? The world is crazy uncertain. What challenges will your children face? What challenges will your grandchildren face? Will you find a spouse? Can you get along with a spouse? You know, should you have a spouse? Whatever. All these uncertainties in life. The world is just full. Every day is a path of unknowns, right? It's all it is. It's a path of unknowns going forward. If you live in this world of unknowns by your own limited understanding, at least in my perspective, the world's a really scary place. If you got to figure it all out on your own, the world is a really scary place. But God has given us an incredible promise, one that I said I stand on Every single day. I, I say it to God, you promised. <laughs> you promised. You're not going to break your promise. I need your wisdom really bad. This is what it says in the book of James. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God says, you don't know you need wisdom? Ask. Ask me for wisdom. God promises to give us the wisdom we need when we ask. But he just doesn't give us any wisdom. He doesn't just give us wisdom. You know, some people... So, <coughs> so Elon Musk is a pretty smart guy, right? Like, genius smart, crazy smart. I don't want Elon Musk's wisdom. I'm just being honest. I want somebody who's way wiser than that. I want God's wisdom. God has promised. His wisdom is eternal. His wisdom is divine. God's wisdom sees yesterday and tomorrow as if it's in the moment today. I want God's wisdom. And church, here's what I've learned a long time ago, because it's applied to me. You don't have to be a genius to make right decisions in this world. You don't have to be overly smart. I'm not super smart, right? I'm just kind of an average guy. You don't have to be overly smart. You simply need to function according to the divine wisdom of God. When you don't know what to do, do what God says. When you don't know what to do, do what God says because God is eternally wise and he promised to give us his wisdom and his wisdom is always right and best. So you don't have to be the smartest person on the block. You just got to be the one committed to following the wisdom of God. His wisdom is always right and it's always best. And understand, the primary way 
that he communicates his wisdom. Yes, we pray and we ask for answers, but the primary way he illuminates in our heart his wisdom is through his word, the scriptures, the Bible. So if you want to be secure in an insecure world, live by the wisdom of God revealed in his word, and let me just tell you this without hurting your feelings, spend more time in the Bible than in Fox News. I don't watch it anymore. Newsmax. Spend more time in your Bible than Newsmax. Spend your time more time on Boozier than CNN or MSNBC. Spend more time in God's wisdom than listening to a bunch of other people say what they think about the world, and they don't even have Christ in their lives, most of them. And they're, and they're, they're filling your head with stuff, and it's bad stuff, and it's wrong stuff, and it's causing you all kinds of problems. It's causing you all kinds of uncertainty because the world is uncertain. It's causing you all kinds of distress. Stop listening to the junk and spend more time in God's Word. I'm not saying be uninformed, but I'm saying we have the divine wisdom of God. We can be thankful every day that God gives us His wisdom for our lives. Now, one last one. Kind of one last one. We got a partial one. How about this? One more thing all of us can be thankful for this Thanksgiving season, regardless of the circumstances of our life. It's this, and I'm thankful for this one a lot. God's patience. God's patience. We are all works in progress. And even if you have been walking with Jesus for a long time and somehow there's a halo that started to develop over your head, you know, and people bow down to you when they walk past you, I don't know, you still have a lot of growing to do and so do I. You have a lot of changing to do and so do I. I don't care who you are. You got it all figured out, you think? No, you don't. None of us do. We're all works in progress. And I'm so thankful. That's why we're gracious with each other. That's why we're kind to each other. That's why when somebody does something wrong, guess what? So do you. We judge everybody else by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. Judge yourself the same way you judge somebody else by your actions and you'll change how you judge other people. We're all works in progress. So I'm thankful that God is patient with us while we're in process. Philippians 1.6 is one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. He gives us great news. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Until Jesus returns, he's going to keep on working in our lives, the good work. And it says, he began a good work in you. You are a good work. He began a good work, not a bad work. You're a good work. And in his patience, he's, he's working in your life. God is not done with us yet and understand this and this will set you free. He's not frustrated with you. God is not frustrated with you. You go, but Mark, I blew it and I blew it again and I blew it again. Yep. Psalm 103, one of my favorite psalms. He says, I get you. I know where you came from. You're just a pile of dirt. It's exactly what it says. You're just a pile of dirt. He goes, I made you out of mud. I think you expect more out of me, out of yourself than I do because you're just mud. I love you, you're mud, but I love you. And I made you, and you're made in my image. But I'm, I'm patient with you. I'm not frustrated. God's not frustrated with you. He's not ready to give up on you. He's not because he's patient. 
Remember the description of, of, of love in 1 Corinthians 13? And we said it's completely theologically accurate to replace love with God. What did it say about love? Love is patient. Love is patient. That means God is patient. And friends, this is such good news. He's begun a good work in each one of us, and he is going to keep on helping us and helping us and helping us until the day that he returns. And I'm thankful because I got a long ways to go. A little secret? So do you. We all do. Yeah. Why doesn't the worship team come up this morning? Lifestyles of thankfulness. How happy and content and healthy, emotionally and physically healthy, would we be, would I be, if every morning we just thank God because he's loving and he's forgiving and he's convicting and he's wise and he's patient. Friends, these are things that we can be thankful for every single day. They don't change with the economy. They don't change with a political situation. They don't, they don't change with family circumstances. Knowing this, that we can be thankful for this, is the pathway to joy in an uncertain world. God's will for your life. Be, be joyful and be thankful. And I think he's really saying if you're thankful, you'll be joyful. Now, there's one more thing. I said, remember I said there's a half a thing? There's one more thing I want to point out. And it, and it matters for you right now in this moment. All of these things are realities only because God is present right now. God is an ever-present help in a time of need. God, by His Spirit, is present. This moment is pregnant with the reality of God. God is involved in our lives. Think of all these things. The only reason we can have that God can act lovingly and forgiving and convicting and giving wisdom and being patient is because he is present with us in this moment. It doesn't happen if God's not involved. It doesn't happen if God's not present. This only happens because God is present. That he is right here, right now. So I want you to think. What do you need from him today? He's a loving heavenly father. What do you need from him today? What do you need to give up to him today? As we're talking, something might have come to your heart. There's something you've got to give up. Here's the truth of the moment. He's right here with us. The prayer of St. Patrick says that he's, he's in front of me and he's behind me, he's above me and he's beneath me, he's within me and he's around me. He's trying to say he's here. He's not there. He's, he is there, but he's here. He's right here and he is listening and he's waiting and he's involved in your life, not just the world's affairs. He's involved in the affairs of your life because what was the first thing we said? He's love. Because he loved, he gave. Because he loved, he gave you life. And he's involved in our lives. So friend, are you ready to interact with the living God? For some of you, maybe in this room, you need to, for the very first time in your life, come to the Lord. Come to Jesus. 
who died. He gave his life for you, if you know the story. He gave his life for you. He came to this earth. God himself came to planet earth to live a perfect life. The only person who's ever done it. And he did it so he could be a sacrifice. That's what happened on the cross. He literally gave himself as a sacrifice, saying, I will, my sacrifice will stand in place of everybody else. I'll break by his sacrifice. He died and he rose again. He broke the curse of sin and death that came in the world because of sin. God had said in the beginning to Adam and Eve, if you eat it, you will die. And all people have died. And Jesus came as a perfect person and he lived and he broke the curse of sin and death. And you're sitting here today and you've never really, really, really said, God, I'm all in with you. God, I need you. God, you're God and I'm not. Sometimes we say, well, I like church. I like some of these things about God. But you've never said, we're going to change seats where I'm boss and now boss in a sense of controller, ruler, lover, helper, protector, provider. And I'm going to let, I'm going to ask God to be that. I'm going to come under his rule and reign. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to follow him. You've never done that. Today you can do that because he's right here. You just can simply say, God, I need you. I'm lost without you. Right now in this moment, you're here. I'm asking you to come into my life. Forgive me of all the junk. Make me brand new. And from this day, I want to walk with you. You can do that in this moment right now.